0: Welcome to the Industries in Motion podcast from RBC Capital Markets, where we'll be exploring what's new and what's next in today's fast-moving markets and industries to help you stay ahead of the curve. Please listen to the end of this podcast for important disclaimers. My name is Mark Odendahl, and I am head of U.S. Capital Markets Research. Let's get into today's episode. I'm happy to introduce our next guest, Dr. Luca Easy. He is our senior biotech analyst at RBC Capital Markets. Luca is part of a larger biotech team here at RBC where we have four senior analysts publishing research in the US. Luca joined RBC in 2020. Prior to RBC, he was an investor at Bain Capital Life Sciences, where he led private and public investments across biopharmaceuticals, medical devices, specialty pharma, and tools and diagnostics. Luca, thanks for joining today.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Luca, I first off, want to say congratulations. You joined in 2020. You quickly rolled out on the gene, cell, and gene therapy areas. You followed that up in 2021 with a successful expansion of your coverage in gene editing So we're really excited to have you on the podcast today to take us through those subsectors of this evolving sector in the biotech industry. Your recent initiations mentioned that genetic medicine is a new wave of innovation in biotech. Can you expand on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Happy to, Mark. Um, yeah, so I think the bad news here is that we have five to 8,000 monogenic diseases, meaning diseases that are caused by a single gene, and many more that are actually polygenic in nature caused by more than one gene. So that's the bad news. However, the good news is that now we have a toolbox that allows us to actually tackle many of those diseases, and the money is it's just pouring in. We actually put in our initiation support. Uh, In the last uh, few years, $150 billion has been deployed across VC, equity market, partnerships, and M&A. And this influx of capital has actually made an impact for patients and shareholders, right? We have uh, 18 drugs that are currently approved in the genetic medicine space. We have 10 more that we believe are gonna come down the pike in the foreseeable future. Um, Many of them are actually already on the calendar from, you know, on the FDA. Uh, A few Padufa dates are already scheduled for either later this year or early next year. Um, And probably, Mark, I think the COVID vaccine is the epitome of what genetic medicine can do. This is mRNA. And this vaccine has made a huge impact for both humanity and shareholders right? Uh, Recent, actually, publications from Yale suggest 280,000 deaths have been prevented by this vaccine. 1.2 million hospitalizations have been presented by this vaccine. And at the same time, Pfizer and Moderna together this year are going to generate more than $50 billion in revenues from these vaccines. So again, perfect example of a space and and applications where genetic medicine have made an impact for both shareholders as well as uh, patients and humanity.
0: When you think about genetic medicine, what are the key modalities that define the space?
1: The way I think about it is four different buckets. So there is a way to Uh, turn off genes. This is called RNAi or RNA interference. Uh, There are ways to actually do the exact opposite. Instead of turning off genes, you want to turn on genes. And you can do that either with gene therapy or mRNA. We already talked about mRNA earlier. Uh, And then you have the latest and greatest, which is gene editing. You mentioned in your comments earlier, this is kind of the latest and greatest in genetic medicine. This is essentially a way to edit genes. And you can edit them in a variety of ways. You can turn them off, you can turn them on, you can correct them, you can insert uh, sequencing there. So a uh, very, very exciting space. And then the fourth one is really cell therapy, uh, which is a way essentially using cells as a therapeutic. So instead of developing a drug or a monoclonal antibody, you're essentially delivering cells. Uh, and again, we already have a few drugs that are approved, like Kim Rye and Yaskarta in the cell therapy space, and many more coming down the pike.
0: That's a great rundown. On RNAi, how did we go from an interesting molecular finding in worms to a $40 billion in market cap?
1: Yeah, that's a fascinating story, Mark. So, uh, just to maybe quick history, uh, Andrew Fire and Craig Mello um, won the Nobel Prize back in 2006. Uh, they showed uh, work that had done actually in the late 90s that if you deliver a small piece of RNA in worms, you can actually turn off certain genes, like small pieces of RNA, and these are like tiny little one millimeter worms uh, called C elegans. And you know the the exciting part of that is that other researchers soon after uh, Marquet primarily, uh, essentially replicated those findings from worms to actual mice. And so once you prove that this technology could be used in mammalian cells, the race was on, right? So, we got a lot of companies starting, a lot of VC money getting to the space. Uh, Pharma was absolutely all over it. Uh, You got AbbVie and Pfizer having internal programs. You got Takeda, Roche, and Novartis uh, signing multi-billion dollar deals with Alnylam. You got some acquisition in that space as well. Actually, Merck bought Cerna for 1.1 billion dollar. So it was very very exciting space. And then in early 2010, data didn't pan out, and we have had multiple issues. Um, you know, Alnalum had a mortality imbalance for one of the drugs called Ravuceran. Um, Arrowhead had to essentially go back to drawing board as they had a few deaths in non-human primates, which was problematic. Uh, Both companies had to go through multiple rounds of layoffs, unfortunately. Merck, that bought Cerna for $1.1 billion, had to sell Cerna for $200 million, almost a $900 million loss. And investors gave up hope. And this was a space that was no longer potted and sexy. (laughs) And what has happened after that, if you look at the charts from 2015, like very few investors stuck around, but from 2015, Al moved from being a $3 billion market cap company to a $25 billion market cap company. Uh, Arrowhead was trading in cash. Now it's a $7 billion market cap company. Dyserna was trading in cash. Now it's a $1.5 billion market cap company. So I think this is a great example where Innovations took many twists and turns, if you will. It was a roller coaster ride, but the investors that actually stuck with this technology actually got incredibly rewarded.
0: Thank you. Where is RNAi going from here?
1: Yeah, I think a $40 billion market cap could be just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> you know, we have, uh, you know, multiple companies that are working on the uh, next iteration of the technology. We think this is a technology that is fairly de-risked at this point. Um And, you know, you have companies like Alnilum, uh working on innovations around dosing uh, instead of uh, do- essentially dosing less frequently than it is today, uh, potentially stretching the doses up to, uh, six months or a twice twice a year type of an injection. You have companies like Arrowhead working on cardiovascular targets like APOC3, AIMS3, or LPLA. And I do believe that many of these targets at this point are fairly de-risk.
0: Thank you. Let's um, pivot to a, an additional bucket that we discussed earlier, and that's gene therapy. We have seen multiple setbacks in the space. What is your latest thinking there? I feel
1: like innovation Uh, occurs linearly so there's like kind of a linear progression innovation and sometimes investors uh, excitement can be either above or below the mean Uh, and this is certainly a time where investor sentiment is way below the mean and just to make it maybe a finer point if you look at gene therapy just up to like nine months ago cumulatively gene therapy was a 60 billion dollar market in terms of market cap now it's a 40 billion dollar market cap right so you got 20 billion dollar overall a value that has been destroyed. But I do believe that now it's a great time to look into gene therapy. The reason why I believe that is the froth is gone, right? The evaluation have materially pulled back. We do have clarity on the regulatory path. There was an FDA advisory committee meeting just weeks ago And then advisory committee meeting, I believe, was pretty benign and actually gave companies and sponsor great transparency on what they need to do to essentially get these drugs over the finish line.
0: Let's move now to gene editing. What are the implications of the recent Intaglia data for the broader field?
1: Yeah, just as much as uh, gene therapy has been depressing, gene editing has been exciting. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of uh, uh a lot of innovation in that space. Uh just for context, again, gene editing is a way to edit different genes. Uh Jennifer Doudna and Emmanuel Charpentier uh essentially figuring out that bacteria when they get uh infected by viruses, they can fight the infection and then they essentially take a mud shot of that virus that takes a piece of DNA from that virus and actually put it in their own genome. And you know Emmanuel Charpentier and Jennifer Dutton essentially figured out that this technology can also be used in other cells. And now we have this great tool that to allows us to edit genes in, in humans. Uh, we've seen a ton of IPOs in the space., uh, the cumulative market cap actually, uh went from nine billion dollar twelve months ago to actually forty billion dollar today when you look at the whole space more broadly. And you know, the Intelli data, um some people comparing to Neil Armstrong going on the moon for the first time. Well this is the first time they were editing hepatocytes in human beings. Um and the data uh, over the summer was was pretty exciting. We've seen pretty strong reduction in TTR. Um, up to 90 plus percent. And so, you know, we think that Italia is potentially in a position to convert a disease that today is uh, managed chronically via uh, either siRNA or with oral small molecule, potentially with a one-and-done approach. And so that has been a very important moment for the whole field.
0: Thank you. And lastly, what about cell therapy? So many patients... Already benefit from cell therapy, but we've also seen recent setbacks with Allo's clinical hold. What are your latest thoughts around cell therapy and the differences that we're seeing there?
1: Yeah, uh, as you mentioned, multiple patients already benefit from uh, autologous CAR Ts. Again, Yiscard and Kimriya are already a billion dollar market today. But the goal for cell therapy is really to pivot from autologous CAR T to allogeneic CAR T. So autologous CAR T. Uh, which is the current standard of care, is a fairly complex process that requires complex logistics where essentially the T cells are taken from the patients, are shipped into a centralized facility, the molecular biology is done into a centralized facility, and then these cells are actually shipped back to the patients before they're infused, but the goal here is to transition from this complex approach to an off-the-shelf approach having cells that are ready to go, that'll be very, very important, especially for patients that are rapidly progressing with non lymphoma or multiple myeloma or, or other indications. And look, so far the data has been encouraging. The response rate, uh, the radiographic response rate has been actually pretty good. Um, the issue has been around durability. You know, these T cells don't stay in the bloodstream for as long as we would like them to stay. And as you mentioned, the allergens clinical hold last week was not helpful. However, the investigation is still ongoing. Um, It's entirely possible that what we have seen so far for allergen is just a molecular finding that does not have any clinical consequences. So again, let's have the investigation play out and then we'll see what happens there. But when I kind of step back from allergen and the clinical hold and I look at this field more broadly, I mean, I, I think the companies are are using the right approach, like Allergen and CRISPR are thinking about consolidation dosing, right? So that could be a way to improve durability. Instead of doing a single injection, you can do two injections back-to-back. They're planning to combine this approach with gamma secretase inhibitors.
0: It's been a fascinating conversation, and it's an exciting space to cover. Given all this innovation and the need for – Pharmaceuticals to replenish their pipelines, how do you think about m and A in this sector
1: Size works against innovation, and pharmas have two things: one, they have lots of patent expires coming down the pipe soon, and two, lots of cash and when you look if you look at this whole space and if you look at where innovation has happened. Most of the transformative innovation has not happened organically by pharma, has happened actually in biotech companies that then end up being acquired by, by pharma companies. So I know M&A has been disappointing this year. Uh, we have not had the number and the volume of the transactions that we have had in, in prior years. But again, pharma is, this is the lifeblood of this industry. This really is the lifeblood of this industry. Uh, and I think it's just a matter of time then uh, m and will probably come back. And I think when I think about my space more broadly, I think that the strategic appeal of my companies uh, for pharma is only bound to get larger over time, primarily because these companies are now uh, in a position to potentially graduate from developing drugs for rare genetic diseases to much, much larger indications. right?
0: Thanks for all the insights today. You do a great job talking through all the different pathways of this innovative field that you're in, and congrats on quickly becoming a leader in genetic medicine.
1: Fantastic, Mark. It was a great conversation. I appreciate your time.
0: What else lies ahead in today's ever-evolving markets and industries? We will be keeping track right here on Industries in Motion. Until then, thank you for joining us on this episode recorded October 20th, 2021. Make sure you subscribe to Industries in Motion wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to continue this conversation or you are interested in more information, please contact your RBC representative directly or visit our website at www.rbccm.com backslash industries in motion for further insights thank you
1: this content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only it is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation and no recommendations are implied It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you
0: and your financial objectives.